0: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com now before we even start this podcast i want you to know that if you're scared of something this podcast is for you allow me if you will to just read for you a couple paragraphs from the book mastering fear by former Navy SEAL Brandon Webb. We turn and look up the ravine toward the dirt road where we parked our truck a few minutes ago. There's a crowd of maybe 50 Afghan guys standing up there, seven or eight yards away, looking down at us, a crowd of Afghan guys with guns who don't look happy. It's early 2002, just a few months after 9-11, and we are in northeastern Afghanistan on a search and seizure operation looking for bad guys. We wonder if maybe we just found some. Now they're moving closer. They've surrounded us. A few guys have hung back by our truck, and there's nothing in the sweet wide world stopping them from climbing in and driving it away, leaving us stranded with their armed and very pissed off friends. I feel something shifting inside. Certain blood vessels constrict, others dilate. My palms suddenly feel cool, yet moist with sweat. The tiny hairs on the back of my arms and neck stand at attention. My mouth is dry. My hearing is suddenly more acute. I can practically feel the release and surge of epinephrine as my adrenals fire off their liquid torpedoes. My face doesn't show it, but in my mind, I smile. I know what this is. This is fear, and I'm about to use it. Now, what gets me every time about this story is that they're literally looking up a ravine at these Afghan guys approaching them with guns. And literally with the strength and the sheer testicular fortitude, they walk at these charging Afghans yelling and screaming and raising their voice and looking at them with a look in their eye and a stare of intent that says there is no way they are backing down. And all of that was fueled by the absolute fear for their life that churned from their heart and in every ounce of their being. These SEALs were literally afraid for their friggin' lives. But they used that energy. They took that fear and they channeled it into one step in front of another. And I'm going to look at these guys and not back down. They were eventually able to get back into their truck and drive away. And I guarantee when they drove away, they all sat and looked at each other and were like, what the hell just happened? And why are we not dead? And the reason they didn't die that day is because they could, for a moment, master their fear. And we'll share some of the secrets to doing it in the interview you're about to hear next.
1: is a guy that got into the pool gripping the ladder with, fear. Gripping the ladder with fear. fear stuff that we do in seal training which is a lot of the drown proofing drown proofing drown proofing every time you're pointing out a mistake you're programming them for for failure I've been in survival situations where you're hungry enough, everything starts looking like food. So just like Michael Phelps did in Beijing when he jumped in, in the finals and his goggles flooded. Because you and I both know as parents, you send your kid to school and there's, there's stuff that you and I can't control. I, I had a fear of skydiving. I, I lost a, a good friend um, who was larger than life, good at everything he did, and, and he died in this
0: terrible training
1: accident. and I.
0: Welcome to Vet Story, I'm your host Phil Briggs and today we're gonna to talk about mastering fear. But it's not just mastering fear like poisonous snakes. It's mastering the fears that sometimes paralyze us. The fear of confrontation, the fear of standing up for ourselves, the fear that comes to us in the words what if, the fear of failing. Sometimes we don't even recognize these things as fears but they're the elements of our life that seemingly hold us back from reaching our absolute full potential. And I can't think of anybody better to help us reach our full potential, to help us get over our fears, than a former Navy SEAL and an author. And the guy who both literally and figuratively wrote the book, Mastering Fear, A Navy SEAL's Guide. Brandon Webb, veteran SEAL, sniper instructor, author, pilot, dad, founder of softrep.com, and gives the occasional swim lessons at the Central Park Athletic Club in New York City. Webb joined the Navy in 1993 and began his career as an aviation warfare systems operator and a search and rescue swimmer aboard the USS Kitty Hawk, which I think we can affectionately say we had a nickname, right, Brandon? What was that?
1: (laughs) I didn't... I thought the Kitty Hawk was better than the Lincoln, so oh. I, I, won't th- I won't call it the sh- Kitty. Okay,
0: <laughs> There you go. Completing yeah. basic underwater demolition school and SEAL training, you were assigned to SEAL Team 3 in 2000. Webb was invited to undergo training at SEAL Sniper Course, and after becoming a certified SEAL Sniper himself, he deployed to the Persian Gulf with Team 3, and at the end of 2003, Webb took over the sniper course as a program manager and during his tenure there changed the graduation rate among Navy SEALs, bringing 300 Navy SEALs successfully through the program and graduates including Chris Kyle and Marcus Luttrell. We're joined now on Vet Story by Brandon Webb. Good to have you, sir.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Phil. Appreciate it.
0: I really uh, i I was psyched because I've actually done some podcasts. I've done an interview with your colleague Jack Murphy over there at Soft Rep. I follow you guys. Yep. You know, I, look, I don't want to fan out on you, but I'm I'm a fan. So you
1: no, go. I appreciate it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the the lightning round. Well, we'll start the interview kind of soft here with just a couple quick facts that I did not know about you. Um, originally, you're Canadian.
1: Yeah, born in Canada. My dad is Canadian. My mom's American.
0: Okay. Uh, would you say true or false? You're a better swimmer than shooter.
1: Oh, that's tough. <laughs> that's I'm good. a tough one. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm not going to win any swim races, right? But I'm extremely comfortable in the water. But I'm a pretty damn good shot, too. So thats a, I think it's a toss-up.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Well, we're glad. In your previous profession, that was uh, I was glad you were an ace at both. Um, you lived on a sailboat in high school? Is that for real?
1: Yeah, I did. I My dad lost his first business. Uh, my mom and my dad decided to pursue their dream of doing some cruising on a sailboat. And part of it was like a financial decision too. It's cheap to live on a boat. So they bought a boat in Vancouver, moved a, my sister and I, the whole family on the boat, sailed it down to eventually sailed down to Ventura, California, where we did some on and off cruising in Mexico and then did a big trip to to sail to New Zealand, and I made it to Tahiti, and my dad kicked me off the boat at 16. (laughs) (laughs) Which I learned a very, very important lesson that day. There can be only one captain on the ship. (laughs) That was my dad.
0: Now, I start with some of those fun facts about his life because as we look at this book, Mastering Fear, A Navy SEAL's Guide, it's told in just that way. He weaves in incredible stories from his personal life and his personal experiences, both as a SEAL and, you know, just as, as a guy. But every story has a reason. The book opens with just such a story. His friend Kamal had hiked mountains, had walked trails for hundreds of miles, was an army veteran, had made incredible achievements both personally and professionally in his life. But his fear of water was something he could never get over and would leave him clinging to the side of a pool if he was ever in it. Brandon explained why this was the perfect spot to not only inspire the book, but to start the book.
1: I had moved to the city, um, New York a few years, uh, and then ended up meeting Kamal through a mutual friend, and him and I became really close friends and for the last four years, and, and I found out that he had this fear of water, and he he told me, a, you know, a few months um, last year, a few, at the beginning of last year, a few months, he kept bringing it up. And I said, look, I know you want to deal with this. Why don't you just give me a week and I'll teach you how to swim? And he's like, ah, people have tried. I should go to this immersion course in Florida. I'm like, no, just give me a week. Um, and so I took him to the New York Athletic Club Monday through Friday for an hour each morning. And I, I designed it like a mini curriculum for him that created these small steps to get him comfortable in the water. And then I kind of implemented some confidence building stuff that we do in seal training, which is a lot of the drown proofing where you, you kind of Bob up and down, you know, 10, 15 feet, whatever the, you know, the deep end of the pool is. And so I, you know, Monday, this was a guy that got into the pool, gripping the ladder with fear and then pushing off, grabbing the wall as quick as he could, um, terrified of the water. And Friday, he, I got him to just jump in, do a cannonball, sink to the bottom of the pool, sit there, hold his breath for half a minute, and then pop up. Like, it was a, you know, radical difference from Monday to Friday. And he, we were taking the subway back in New York City, and he's like, dude, you changed my life. Like, you need to write a book about this. He's like, no one, no one has been able to do this and and you helped me overcome my fear of the water. Um, you should share this, you know, what you did with everyone else. So mastering fear is probably my favorite book because of, of that reason. I I think it's really going to help a lot of people out. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to have adventurous parents and be put into a lot of, you know, interesting situations as a young adult and being able to, you know, overcome my own fears you know, for as a young, you know, scared 16-year-old leaving home in the South Pacific to being a Navy SEAL, going to combat, losing a business after I got out of the military, getting a divorce, starting over. Um, you know, so I just try and share my own story and feature some successful friends and and colleagues I have met throughout the years and share their stories as well and experiences to show people that look we all deal with fear on a daily basis anybody that says they aren't dealing with fear is you know full of it or they're just insane like we live we all live with it whether it's career relationships um, you know you name it we all live with it
0: now let me read to you just a couple excerpts that I love from this book mastering fear is not about becoming physically stronger or tougher or macho or more aggressive or more stoic, or more pumped up. It's about learning how to identify and change the conversation in your head. And fear is also no illusion, fear is real, and to convince yourself it isn't, you're already dead. So in your book, you you talk about realizing you're scared of something and you have a fear of something, and you talk about things that you have to do and if I can put you on the spot here and talk about aware of it, redirect it and flip it, can you share with me kinda of what that means or
1: you know, when I sat down to write the book, I didn't realize I was gonna learn a lot about fear like myself and what I try to do is make come up with this system, which I which I did in the book and and essentially, you know, I was a master training specialist and wrote curriculum for this for the SEALs and the, and the sniper program. And so I realized I had to like, how do I break this down and come up with a a system? So I, I really broke it down into uh, five key points that I saw as, as critical. And that was one decision. Like just the part on decision is really making a a decision that you have recognized that there's some type of fear in your life holding you back. And you've made the decision to, to confront it or deal with it, whether that's public speaking a uh, career change, which can be—I've been there myself. After losing my first business, I had to go take a job uh, with a L3 Communications. It was a defense company, was making very good money, and then had to two years later decide to leave—you know—high six-figure income to start my you know my second business. Um, that's a scary thing to do, especially when you have you know at the time I had, well I still have I had three three kids and an ex-wife and all these responsibilities and obligations. So, so the decision, you know, this decision is, is important just to recognize the fear. I talk about rehearsal as a second thing. Um, you know, rehearsal, I really got from uh, my time in the Sniper program when we were modernizing the program and bringing it up to speed after 9-11. We were fortunate enough to bring in some of the top mental management experts in the world. These guys were like Olympic gold medalist, uh, professional coaches in, in professional sports. And a, a big part of um, my takeaway from that experience is I met a guy named Lanny Basham, who's a gold medalist and, and really a pioneer in mental management. And he really worked with us on the importance of visualization, like mental practice and and what you mentioned earlier on the show, getting getting that voice out of your head or, or replacing the self-talk, like the negative self-talk with positive self-talk. So, The rehearsal, I I go deep into, you know, just the value of if you're afraid of something, how powerful kind of visualizing, you know, the future or, you know, visualizing the the steps that it takes to kind of make a transition, uh, whether it's relationship, career, public speaking. Uh, So there's a lot of value in, in rehearsal. And then the final kind of letting go, jumping off point where, Eventually, you've got to—you've got to, You know, I describe it in the book as stepping out the, the off the ramp of the airplane. Because I, I had a fear of skydiving. I, I lost a, a good friend in a training incident uh, months before I was going to go. Uh, I had my billet to go to—we to, uh, call it free fall school. Um, but I had a real—I I was dealing with some some—you know—the voices <laughs> in your head, right? Because I here's this guy that was that I looked up to, Mike Bearden um, who was larger than life, good at everything he did. And and he died in this terrible training accident. And I was like, wow, if it could happen to Mike, it it could happen to me. And I started inventing all these crap in my head, um, that I had to, that I had to kind of push out. So the, the kind of letting go piece is important. You know, the jumping off is, is also that that's like, you know, you eventually, um, you can talk about it all day long, but you have to actually do something and, and, that chapter I like because I I, I related uh, a story. I remember my dad sitting down with us at dinner one night on the sailboat, and he said, "Look, we're going to take this trip to New Zealand. Uh, I don't want to be the guy at the harbor that's always talking about this big trip but never takes it. Um, so we're going to do it." And and that's I thought uh, that that stuck with me over the years as much as my dad and I have had our on and off <laughs> over the years, I really respect him for, you know, and my mom for, I mean, talk about, you know, having guts, like to take your family halfway around the world on a small sailboat when at a time when you didn't have GPS uh, or satellite phones, I mean, it was pretty, pretty gutsy stuff. Um, but, but a part in there, I tell the story about the kind of letting go is they do uh, in jungle training in the Philippines, they, they trap monkeys, for for food you know and they dig a hole they put a coconut in the hole and they put these sticks over the top of the hole so when the monkey reaches in to grab the coconut grabs it tries to pull it out but the coconut in his hand is too big to get out the sticks the sticks are blocking it but he'll just sit there and hold the coconut he'll never let it go and all he has to do to escape is just drop it and and run away but he holds it and then the you know the jungle survival instructor comes along bonks the monkey in the head and then you know the monkeys dinner that night sorry sorry for any vegans that are listening <laughs> but I can tell you this I've been in survival situations where you're hungry enough everything starts looking like food so if I doubt there are too many vegans in a you know in a, in a real survival situation <laughs> um, no, but,
0: I'm pretty sure you know, we it's... give up a lot of our ideals or a lot of our philosophical statements yeah. just to you know yeah. eat that afternoon no, yeah I'm is that wicked.
1: cricket is the cricket gluten free? I don't know. I'm going to freaking eat them. Uh, but, you know, and then the last part I talk about in the book is knowing what matters. I think a lot of people go through life uh, really not, they're kind of drifting or they're letting other people make decisions for them or, or other people are pushing their fears and insecurities on them. Um, so the knowing what matters piece, and there's been plenty of that has been written. Uh, knowing what matters is important. I, I have so many you know, young men write me and they're like, oh, I'm, I just got a job offer. I just got a raise, but I really want to be and I want to join the SEALs. What do I do? And I'm like, only you can figure that out. I can't possibly jump into somebody's head and and experience their whole life uh, in a snapshot and, and make that decision. Like People have to take some personal responsibility and, and really figure out what matters to them in life. Uh, again, I, you know, having, you know, built a successful business now the second time over, I, people come up and oh, I want to be, I want to be rich, I want to be successful, and they don't even know, <clears throat> they don't even know what that means. I say, okay, what's what's rich? What's the number? Like how many millions is it? And they just don't know. They blank stares because they just haven't taken the time to to really think about it. Um, but that's you know that's kind of the system I developed. and I. I weaved in these personal stories and experiences of myself dealing with fear because I think a lot of people would think, oh, here's a Navy SEAL. Those guys are fearless. No, it's not that's not the case. It's it's how we kind of identify fear, uh, harness that fear, and, and we're really good at mitigating risk in the SEAL teams. I, I remember the first time I was transitioning my military skydiving a certificate to a civilian skydiving, I was shocked at at least this particular drop zone, how lackadaisical they were about, you know, the skydiving where in the military to do one jump, you're going to get checked by two jump masters that are going to check all your gear, your altimeter, your harnesses, your clip points. Then you're going to get a buddy check right before you jump out. When I went to the civilian drop zone, this guy looked like he just did a big bong hit was like you ready bro and gave me the thumbs up i'm like dude aren't you gonna like check my gear (laughs) not the case (laughs) um it's one of the my favorite books that i've written because i think it's really going to help a lot of people especially young adults. um i'm i made my kids read read the book and they're all under 16
0: now right there brandon brings up a great point And it was something that dawned on me while I was reading through this book and the five-step plan that this is really great advice for parenting. So I asked him what kind of takeaways I can get from the book as a dad.
1: I mean, the biggest takeaway as a parent is how self-taught worked for me when when I was training snipers, teaching these guys how how to change the way they talk to themselves. And that's as simple as, you know, these guys would show up. and like, oh, maybe I'm not a good spotter. Maybe I'm not the best shooter. And I was like, okay, you got to stop that, the the way you're talking to yourself, and you have to change the narrative. So it's the self-talk. The other big thing we did was we changed our teaching from a negative teaching style to a positive teaching style, where we used to point out all these mistakes that the students were making. We used to yell at them, like, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong.
0: You can't hit that. What's wrong with you? Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
1: You're, you're flinching. Stop flinching. And what we realized after bringing in these, you know, professionals, um, especially this guy, Lanny who's a close friend of mine today, Lanny said, look, stop. You're a beginner. Doesn't know this stuff. You're so the beginner has this blank slate. And every time you're pointing out a mistake, you're programming them for for failure. He said, just tell them what to do correctly. Focus on that and tell them what to do properly. And so I translate that to parenting and, and coaching as kids. I see so many teachers and coaches pointing out these mistakes that kids are are doing, whether it's, you know, baseball, soccer, uh, whatever sport you want to pick, uh, or even in the classroom. And in, in a group setting, it's even worse because all of a sudden, this kid that didn't have a problem with something – is is hearing the coach or the teacher talk about these different mistakes that he didn't even realize were, they didn't even exist for him until now that they're mentioned and now they're in his head. And the kid's like, you're, you're sharing all these problems and mistakes. And, and when the best thing to do is to focus on just the positive, you know, the, the, tell me the correct thing to do. And when you teach the kids how to do this, which I've done to mine at a very early age, it's great to have them come up and be like, yeah, dad, I had, you know, my daughter comes up to me and, you know, people were telling her that she, you know, there's no way, like, how could she MC her eighth grade end of school uh, event? Like that's crazy. And it's, you know, so scary to do that. And she's like, yeah, I just realized like that was their own stuff. And, and then she went on as an eighth grader to literally write a speech, MC her whole eighth grade, like, graduation with parents and students and the different performances that, that her classmates gave. And I was thinking to myself, I would be scared as hell to do that as an eighth grader back then, but it's just great to see, you know, the effect of the, of that is having on my own kids lives.
0: Now I think what we heard right there was the coolest part about this book. The best thing you can take away is that it's going to make you a better parent. And just when I thought that the parables and the real life story examples might have been done during our interview, he shared with us a couple more.
1: So Lanny, Lanny is a close friend of mine. He he was a gold medalist in '76, I believe, in Montreal. Before that, he won the he won the silver in '72, but he was devastated because he was world champion um, as an army marksmanship unit guy. Um, he was a uh, world champion in 72 ever expected to win the gold medal went to munich and just crumbled under pressure and he came back in the 70s and the philosophy at the time because he went to all these sports psychologists was like hey help me this happened to me i lost i lost my cool how do i become champion you know how do i deal with this stuff and at the time the you know the the practice of most psychologists like, Oh, Lanny, we're just going to, I'm going to make you okay with being number two in the world. And he's like, no, no, no. (laughs) He's like, that's not, that's not going to help me. So he went out, surveyed all these gold medalists uh, on the Olympic team because he had access to, to them and found out they all, all the champions, you know, what, and it's a big difference between bronze and gold and silver and gold. And he said, they all had these fundamental traits and they all, visualized. They all would put post it notes, you know, in the mirror, like I'm a champion, I'm the best at this. And they would all rehearse in their head for contingencies, you know, just like Michael Phelps did in Beijing when um, he jumped in in the finals and his goggles flooded, but he had already visualized for that contingency and knew that he had to count his strokes and went on with flooded goggles to win the gold and, and set a new world record. So, You know, the mumbo-jumbo stuff, I was right there with you, but this stuff works, and and the the people at the top of their professions use this stuff. And so Lanny developed this uh, system and then applied it to himself and went to win the gold medal. But he just wrote also a great book um, called Parenting Champions that I would highly suggest you pick up because it really talks about what you can do with your kids um, and how to teach them some skills, because you and I both know as parents, you send your kid to school, and there's there's a lot of things that are out there in the environment, and there's stuff that you and I can't control, but you can you can prepare them to deal with a lot of the the negativity they're gonna encounter in the in the real world, which is a real thing. I mean, yeah, you and I both, especially being in media, can can see that amplified. On the internet and social media.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can give yourself a phobia, or the world will give you phobias that you never were born with. So, I, amen to that. Um, yeah. Just want to end this real quick with the conclusion of this book because it's it was really cool, and I, I, you know, I kind of gave. Your pilot instructor like a voice inside my head like he, he kind of sounds <laughs> like this, you know? you're pretty close so. <laughs> the way you described his gruff gravelly voice and he's like you know yeah. this old school pilot teaching you to fly kind of the old school way and and uh trim the goddamn plane you know he's always <laughs> talking about how you're gonna kill us Um, because you're sitting there, you've actually got the stick and rudder in your hand. You can feel the resistance of the air. You can feel the plane when it's shaking and everything. It's all stick and rudder. And you conclude the book kind of quoting your pilot instructor friend and says, while love and friendship may be the fuel, fear is your navigator, not your adversary, but your co-pilot. It's cracked, weathered voice in your ear saying, please trim the plane before you kill us. Trim the damn plane. Thank you. This is where you hop out, and this is where we are now solo flying this thing. Uh, talk to me about the influence of that pilot guy and kind of where you were going with that whole analogy.
1: So John John is a close friend of mine still today. Um, that was when I was learning how to fly, and I've always had a passion for aviation. Um, I can tell you today I, I haven't owned a car in five years, and I have three airplanes. <laughs> so that's how much of an aviation nut I am. But I, I was learning how to fly and and there comes a time when you're training to fly where instructor kind of surprises you with your first solo. So um, and I remember John we were doing landings at Brown Field in San Diego and he said, Hey, pull over you know, ask ask tower to pull off to the side and I did and he's like, Hey, I'm getting out, you're gonna you're gonna go around the pattern three times and I was like, Oh my god, like that's just kind of sprung it on me. And that
0: was your first Um, time with no instructor in the cockpit at all. You had to do it all by yourself with no one to give you a tip or to be there in case, you know, stuff went wrong.
1: Yeah. You you had to do it yourself, which is a great experience because one, I remember taking off and I'm like, wow, I'm doing it myself. Like this is, it was exhilarating, scary all at once. But once you, you get a taste of that, you're like, okay, I got this. And then, then you kind of building confidence and experience. Um, you know, and that applies to all sorts of things in life. It's just like the first time I bet you saw that live light flick on for radio. Right. And you and I have both seen people when that happens, they freeze up because it's, you know, they're a different person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My very first radio gig. Totally.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, but we, but you know, like once you kind of do it a few times, it just gets easier and then it just, it just kind of goes away. But that's what I mean, like by this solo flight. Like people have to realize that when they confronting their fears of whether it's public speaking, um, it just gets easier. Like the story in our heads are usually much worse than it actually is. But once you develop a habit of confronting fear, um, noticing it, and and then dealing with it head on, it's a very exhilarating experience. So that's what I I try to embody in that story. And, again, I, you know, I still have a fear of public speaking, but I know that that nervous, that nervous energy I have that goes away in, the, in a few minutes it is necessary for me to give a better speech or, um, you know, just, just be a little bit better prepared. It's just natural, and I just recognize it, that, um, and it gets easier over, over time
0: that's awesome and and I'll share with you real quick an anecdote I had from just a month or so ago I was up in Philadelphia seeing my old radio buddy and we went and saw the Foo Fighters and uh, we happened to be at this kind of you know backstage sort of gathering and the Foo Fighters were there and I heard somebody ask Dave Grohl a question and they're like he was a little kid I want to say he was like 12 years old or something he's like Dave do you get nervous before you play and like all the adults are trying to ask him these questions and he just stops and he looks at this <laughs> kid and he goes man if I didn't it wouldn't be a good show that's rock and roll exactly and he was yeah. talking about how he still gets the nerves and then all of a sudden you know he went on to talk to the adults about the, the butterflies in his stomach and he's like it yeah. still happens he's not so good that he just walks on stage and doesn't fear you know laying an egg out there he says he has to prove to himself every night that he's still a rock yep. star and I thought, how cool yeah. is that,
1: man? That's, yeah, it's a great story. And that's, I try and, you know, again, it featured real stories of myself. But even astronaut Scott Kelly, who I interviewed, he was like, I didn't think I was good enough to be an astronaut. And I almost didn't fill out my application because of it. But he, he said, you know what, if I don't fill it out, I'll never know.
0: Well, you know what? Your book will actually put you on that path. If you, It's a quick read. It's not the longest book I've ever read. Um You know, you're Navy SEAL. I didn't expect, you know, 500 pages out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks.
1: That's cool, man. You will. You'll get that out of my novel.
0: Okay, great. But I got to say, Brandon Webb, Mastering Fear. It'll definitely be a kick in your pants. If you're on the fence of doing something big with your life, this book will completely push you over that edge, and it will help you master not only your fear, but I think your destiny. So uh, thank you very much for writing it, brother. Yeah,
1: thanks, Phil.